Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. At Beth Emanuel, we are proclaiming the vital gospel message of the coming kingdom of heaven. If you share our passion for this message, please support this teaching ministry and messianic community with your prayers and financial contributions. To learn how, click on the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. In our Torah cycle, we've been making our way through the book of Leviticus. In Hebrew, the book of Leviticus is called Vayikra, which means he called. And that's an appropriate name because it's about how to approach God when he calls you. How to draw near to the consuming fire of the Creator. And that's a big deal because drawing near to God is the meaning and purpose of our lives. It's why you're here. We have been called. We are on a quest to follow God's calling. With each week and each parsha in Leviticus, we've taken a step on a progression toward unity with God. It started with sacrifices, or korbanot. The Hebrew word for sacrifice is korban, which comes from the word, uh, the term to draw near. We're drawing near to God. And then the, the text introduced us to the priesthood, the family of Kohanim, who serve an intermediary role, representing us before God in the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and representing God to us. And the Torah moved on to addressing the obstacle of human mortality as it relates to ritual purity. It talked about external sources of impurity, such as dead animals, and then moved on to internal sources of impurity, such as the life cycle and bodily functions, and then it took us to an even, even deeper level and introduced the problem of tzara'at, the skin disease caused by an impure heart. This week in Parashat Acharimot, we move on from purity to atonement and to our yearly relationship maintenance with God on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Our Parsha goes on to address relationship boundaries and the proper context for sexual contact, the, the, the limits that define marriage relationships. And, but this week, we reread two parshiot, uh, moving on to parashat Kedoshim. Kedoshim means holy ones, and it comes from the opening passage where Hashem commands, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And it contains a fascinating mix of laws, some laws that seem ethical, others that seem ceremonial. Ultimately, the purpose of the laws in this section is to provide each person with guidelines for revealing God's holiness to the world and achieving holiness in our, in our own lives. Holiness is an important step along the way to our ultimate goal, unity with God. But the commandment itself, be holy, it is a bit difficult to understand. And what do you do? How, how can a person just be holy? What's the Torah commanding us to do in this specific verse? You shall be holy for, the, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holy, or in Hebrew, kadosh, means separated for a divine purpose. Achieving holiness involves collaboration between God and man. For example, Shabbat is a holy day. Why is it holy? It's holy because... As Genesis 2 tells us, God blessed the Sabbath day 
and sanctified it. And sanctified means made it holy. And yet, God commands Israel to remember and observe the Sabbath day to sanctify it. Wait, who, who sanctifies Shabbat, God or man? Who makes it holy? The answer is that it's a partnership. And this is a general rule of how sanctification and, and holiness work. So, so what about us? How do we become holy? The answer is that God sanctifies us and we sanctify ourselves. And in partnership, we achieve our goal. Back to the commandment, be holy. If holiness entails separating, then what are we to separate ourselves from? It already told us what not to eat, who not to sleep with, and, and so on. What is this verse adding? The Ramban has a famous interpretation of this verse where he claims that we need to separate ourselves even from things that the Torah permits to us. How so? Well, what he's saying is it's not enough to look at the book of the Torah as a book of, rev of, of re regulations. It's, you, you've got to find the heart of God in it. You, you, you've got to re recognize the purpose of life in it and let it guide you on a trajectory of improvement. The, the Ramban explains that a person could, in theory, keep every technical detail in the Torah and still be a corrupt person. So this verse, be holy, comes to mitigate any such loopholes by laying upon us the bigger picture. And, you know, that kind of corruption is what Yeshua confronted in his statements. You have heard that it is said, but I say to you, yes, the Torah gives us a list of do's and don'ts, but those are dots that we've got to connect to produce a whole picture of our divine calling. Remember, God has called us. And this calling is not about sitting in the place we call good enough, where, where our, our spiritual life is quarantined in a small corner of our lives to prevent it from spreading. No, it's about seeking day by day to make spiritual progress. And that's a process that lasts our whole lives. And now we can find this concept of spiritual progress throughout the Bible. But today I'd like to focus on a particular passage that I find interesting. In 2 Peter chapter 1, the author provides a step-by-step -step plan for how to avoid corruption, how to become spiritually fruitful and enter the kingdom. With God's help, we will analyze this, this list in light of, of Jewish sources and, and wisdom. But today, today my goal is just to provide an introduction. And, and we won't have time to get into into the list itself in depth, but God willing, we may be able to take a closer look um, at each point in the future. But let's start by taking a first look at the passage, the specific passage I want to look at, 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, 
and brotherly affection with love. Okay, so here we have a step-by-step -step roadmap. What's the destination? Where are we going to? Let's cut to the chase and, and jump down to verses 10 and 11. It says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Master and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Our goal is to follow God's calling and enter the kingdom. So what's the kingdom? It's the ultimate Shabbat at the end of our world. Uh, it's the time of fulfillment of, of, of all of God's promises through the prophets. It begins with the resurrection of the righteous. And it's the highest priority of a disciple to enter that kingdom. As Yeshua taught us, seek first the kingdom of God. So if this list proposed in 2 Peter 1 really works, and of course we should accept that it does, then it's extremely valuable to us as disciples to help us achieve our mission. Now achieving spiritual progress is quite apropos to our current season. We're now halfway, nearly halfway through a period known as uh, Sfirata Omer, the counting of the Omer. Now the Omer is the name for the period between Passover and Shavuot. It's a period of 49 days, which are seven weeks. And then the 50th day is Shavuot. When the, when the Israelites left Egypt, they traveled during these 49 days, arriving in Mount Sinai at that in that final week. And on the 50th day, God revealed the Torah to them. Now the Torah instructs that every year we're to count the 49 days in the seven weeks, starting the second day of Passover. And on the 50th day, the, the day of the giving of the Torah, we celebrate a holiday then called Shavuot, which means weeks. The Torah kicks off this count with the, the first ceremonial harvest of barley during Passover. Um, so the word Omer actually is a unit of measure referring to the amount of grain in that first offering. Uh, Leviticus 23 verses 15 to 16 instructs us to count the days. It says, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf, the Omer, of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a, a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. And then in Deuteronomy 16, 9 to 10, the command is like this, and instructing us to count the weeks. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks. So weeks in Hebrew is Shavuot. The singular week is Shavua, like as we say at, at, at Havdalah, when Shabbat ends, Shavua Tov. So one week, one Shavua many weeks, many Shavuot. But by having us count these days, the Torah has us retrace the steps of the Israelites, you know, not the physical journey, but the spiritual journey of transformation. In Egypt, they were degraded, impoverished, and surrounded by idolatry and impurity. And just seven weeks later, God bestowed upon them is his holy, pure Torah. But to receive it, 
they needed a spiritual makeover. They needed preparation. And that's why it took 50 days instead of happening the moment they crossed the sea. For, for the Israelites leaving Egypt, those seven weeks were seven weeks of spiritual progress. Now, Passover is not just a time of remembrance. The, the Haggadah tells us, in every generation, a person is obligated to see himself as if though as though he was personally freed from Egypt. And that means that every year at Passover, we relive the Exodus. We're freed again from the bondage that shackles us. We are redeemed from the burdens and obstacles to our spiritual growth. And so likewise on Shavuot, we receive the Torah once again. Like our ancestors and our spiritual forebears, we say, all that Hashem has said, we will do. But are we really ready to receive the Torah? Have we, have we spent the weeks leading up to Shavuot preparing ourselves? And this is what we're doing as we count each day. We want to level up in holiness and closeness to God each day. The numbers increase as we ascend like the floor indicator of an elevator. And you might be saying, sure, I would love to grow spiritually, but what does that even mean? Am I just supposed to be more religious, you know, double down on my religious persona? You know, and people, people just getting started, started on a life of keeping Torah will uh, we'll often look around the community and think, okay, I, I can see what's going on here. I get it. I'll, uh, I should grow a, a nice long beard and wear tzitzit or, or, you know, I'll cover my hair with a tichel and wear long skirts and I, uh, I'll forbid pork from entering my mouth and, and, and I'll, I'll tell my family I can no longer attend their Christmas gatherings. And little, little do they understand, those are not the fundamentals of Judaism. Those are not the, the things that make a person Torah observant at the core. But fortunately, there are tools and methods for growth. And, and, and our, our goal is to improve our character, our inner person, not, not so much the persona that other people see directly. Now, the, the practice and, and study of character refinement and spiritual discipline in Judaism is called Musar. The most common approach to Musar is to focus on specific character traits called, called Midot. Midot, character traits or qualities. Midot literally means measurements. Because we're taking an honest assessment of ourselves, just as we might use a scale to measure our progress as we seek to become more physically fit. So we measure ourselves with midot. Let's take a look at some specific resources and roadmaps for spiritual growth. One a great example comes from the ancient book of Jewish wisdom called Pirkei Avot. And Pirkei Avot contains a list of 48 qualities by which one must acquire Torah. It says, Greater is learning Torah than the priesthood and then royalty, for royalty is acquired by 30 stages and the priesthood with 24 gifts, but the Torah by 48 qualities. By study, attentive listening, proper speech, and understanding heart, by an intelligent heart, by awe, by fear, 
by humility, by joy, by attending to the sages, by critical take, give and take with friends, by fine argumentation with disciples, by clear thinking, by study of scripture, by study of Mishnah, by limiting sleep, by limiting chatter, by limiting pleasure, by limiting frivolity, by limiting preoccupation with worldly matters, by long suffering, by generosity, by faith in the sages, by acceptance of suffering, by being someone who recognizes his place, who rejoices in his, in his portion, who makes offense about his words, who takes no credit for himself, who is loved, who loves God, who loves human beings, who loves righteous ways, who loves reproof, who loves uprightness, who keeps himself far from honors, who does not let his heart become swelled on account of his learning, who does not delight in giving legal decisions, who shares in the burden in bearing the burden of, with his colleague, who judges with the scales weighted in his favor, who leads him on to truth, who leads him on to peace, who composes himself at his study, who asks and answers, who listens and contributes, who learns in order to teach, who learns in order to practice, who makes his teacher wiser, who is, an ex is exact in what he has learned, and who says a thing in the name of him who said it. Thus you have learned, and everyone who says a thing in the name of him who said it brings deliverance to the world as it is said, and Esther told the king in Mordecai's name, Esther 2.22. Okay, it's convenient that there are 48 traits by which one acquires Torah. And there are 49 days of the Omer, which gives you 24 hours to practice each one and an additional 24 hours for review. And there's actually a great book uh, called With Heart in Mind by Alan Morinis that expands on each one of these traits. And and provides actionable methods for putting them into practice. Perhaps it would be even more effective to spend about a year focusing uh, on, on one trait over uh, each week over the, over the course of the week. And, you know, there's no reason not to start that right now. But let me give you another example of how a list can be a helpful tool for spiritual, for personal growth. Here's a, here's a passage from the Mishnah at the very end of Tractate Sota. Now, this quote is from a second century sage, and it comes in the context of a discussion about what has happened since the destruction of the temple, how the, the world has gone down the toilet, so to speak. And so this list provides guidance as to how to endure the chaos at the end of days. Okay, here goes. Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair says, Torah study leads to care in the performance of mitzvot. Care in the performance of mitzvot leads to diligence in their observance. Diligence leads to cleanliness of the soul. Cleanliness of the soul leads to abstention from all evil. Abstention from evil leads to purity. Purity leads to piety. Piety leads to humility. Humility leads to fear of sin. Fear of sin leads to holiness. Holiness leads to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads to the resurrection of the dead. Okay, again, so now we're presented with a spiritual progression, this time involving 10 steps. A classic work of Musar um, entitled The Path of the Just, or Misilat Yesharim, explains and it expands upon each one of these steps. Um, at Beth Emanuel, we've used this text, uh, Misilati Sharim, Path of the Just, multiple times 
in studies and classes, and, and I, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, it's very, very good, very important. There, there are only the, those are only those are only two of many examples of Musar literature that are available in the Jewish world. Texts like like these really resonate with our messianic faith and and with the teachings of, of the New Testament because the message of Yeshua was at its core a message of Musar. With that brief introduction out of the way, uh, let's now take a look at the process outlined in Second Peter. Honestly. Like I said before, we'll only have time for a, an overview right, right now, but perhaps this would be a good subject for a longer series of discussions. And the list begins in 2 Peter 1.5. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And so we might deduce from this that the first step in our journey is faith. And in some sense this is true, but the way that Peter's framing it it seems like he considers it not the first step, but the starting point from which you take the first step. And, and what faith is he talking about? We'll go all the way back to verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Yeshua the Messiah, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and of the Savior Yeshua the Messiah. Now, there's some strange features in this verse. I mean, first, the Peter says that the community receiving this letter has obtained a faith. How can you obtain a faith? And this is a, a highly unusual verb to use alongside faith. You either have faith or you don't, right? I mean, somebody can't give it to you. Second, this verse uses some peculiar pronouns. Who are the those who have obtained faith? And then what does it mean when it says ours? Who are the ours who apparently already had that faith? And then third, in what sense is this acquisition of faith by the righteousness of God? Well, I think that the second question is the easiest to answer. So let's start with that. Those obtained a faith equal to ours. Okay, well, the most plausible reading is that Peter is writing to a community of Gentiles whose faith he deems of equal value to his own community, the Jewish people. In, in that light, this list describing the entrance to the eternal kingdom is Peter's way of saying, welcome to a life of faith. Now let me show you the ropes. You want to know how to follow our God? How to take hold of the light of Torah shining through the Jewish people? Here are some practical steps. That's great news for us because it suggests that this list is a great path for, to pursue for disciples who are Jewish and for disciples from the nations. It, it's universal. But what about the other two questions? First, what does it mean to obtain faith? And in what sense is it by the righteousness of God? So to, to answer this question, we've got to pick up on the allusion that he's making to the Torah. In Genesis 15.6. Genesis 15.6 is a verse that we, most of us know. It says, And he, that's Avram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now a, a Protestant interpretation will interpret the verse this way. Um, something like, And and." Uh, Abram believed in God's promise and in response to Abram's belief, God imputed to him 
righteousness, that is, the forgiveness of sins, thereby granting him access to heaven, or something like that. But there's another way. <laughs> the verse says, he counted it to him as righteousness. Who counted what to whom as righteousness? Additionally, the Hebrew word for righteousness in this verse is tzedakah. Tzedakah, a word that has come to mean charity, alms, donation, a, a free gift. Yeshua uses the word righteousness in this way in uh, Matthew 6.1. It says, he says, Prepare, be, beware of practicing your righteousness, your tzedakah, before other people. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. So in that light, consider this reading of, of Genesis 15.6 uh, by Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotsk. He says, Belief in Hashem was planted and engraved in the heart of Abraham. But he did not think that this came from his very nature. Let a, rather, let us understand, and he counted it to him for righteousness as he regarded it as charity. He thought and he knew that the, the creator of the, of the world had treated him charitably and mercifully by planting in his heart belief of him and his unity. Okay, do you understand this interpretation? He's saying that, that, that Avram had emuna, that had faith in Hashem, and yet Avram considered that faith, counted that faith as tzedakah from Hashem. So Avram said, even this faith is not something I achieved of myself, but I obtained, I obtained it from God by his generosity as tzedakah. And so this reading of Genesis 6, 15, 6 helps us understand what Peter's getting at. Okay, listen to this again. Simon Peter, uh, a servant and apostle of Yeshua the Messiah, to those Gentiles who have obtained faith in the manner of Avram, of equal standing with ours, the Jewish people, by the tzedakah, by the charitable gift uh, from our God and from the Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. So this is why faith is not the first step on our journey. Faith itself is an act of God's generosity on our behalf. We receive faith as a free gift, and it's a prerequisite to our embarking on our journey of sanctification. And so, as such, faith is the starting line. It's position zero. You know, if the first day of the counting of the Omer happens on the second day of Passover, it, it marks one day of progress from the starting point. That means that the starting point, day zero of the Omer, is Passover night itself. It's the night that we, by an act of faith and the kindness of God, ate the bread of faith, the matzah, along with the, the Passover lamb and the bitter herbs as we awaited the fulfillment of his promise. And so, given that faith is position zero, the starting point, but not actually one of Peter's steps, how many steps are there to the entrance to the eternal kingdom? Well, let's, let's take a look. Number one is virtue. Number two, knowledge. Number three, self-control. Number four, steadfastness. Number five, godliness. Number six, 
brotherly affection. And number seven, love. Well, there are seven of them. Seven is kind of a suspicious number, isn't it? Does it line up with the seven spherot? Are, are they going up or are they going down? What does each one really mean? Those are fun questions we can explore in the future. But to wrap, wrap up, I'd like to emphasize the importance of ongoing spiritual growth throughout life. Being a person of faith, being a disciple of Yeshua is not a binary condition. It's a constant mission of growth, a choice that you make every day and every minute of the day. In Pirkei Avot, we learn that the great sage Hillel taught, Lo mosif yasef. If you're not adding, you're ending. There's no such thing as, as treading water in spiritual life. Now, you might feel concerned about the idea that we should progress toward the kingdom. I just saw a sign on a nearby church that says, Salvation is received, not achieved. Does seeking to enter the kingdom by following the steps on this list mean we're trying to earn our salvation? Those concerns come from a, a mindset and a worldview that is totally foreign to Judaism. Is salvation a free gift from God? Absolutely. But it, it's not a ticket that you get by saying some magic words. God is, is gracious and he's faithful even when we're unfaithful. But this is not mutually exclusive with the idea that we push forward toward the goal and the task that we were assigned to nonetheless. Nonetheless, and that's storing up treasures in heaven. As Peter says it, being diligent to confirm our calling and election. Assurance of salvation and pursuit of salvation can and do coexist. Just as sanctification comes from above, from God, and from below, from ourselves. God will take care of his responsibility. We don't have to worry about that. We focus on our own responsibilities, and even our spiritual growth relies on his help. Nonetheless, it requires our initiative, if only to pray and ask him for motivation. So I want to encourage you today to utilize the remaining time of the counting of the Omer to make efforts towards spiritual growth. Don't worry if you're, if you're just getting started now, and don't waste the remaining days. This is urgent. Don't tell yourself, oh, I'll come around and pick it up next year. Start today. And maybe you'll find this list in 2 Peter inspiring. Or maybe you'll pick up a book like the ones I suggested. But if you want to receive the spiritual outpouring that we're promised on Shavuot, then prepare yourself to receive it. Ongoing spiritual development doesn't end with Shavuot either. It, it's our purpose in life. It, every day, seek opportunities to enhance your walk with Hashem, to become more like our holy master Yeshua, to perfect your character and to, to improve your relationship with others. Kedoshim tihyu. You shall be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. And that's both a call to action and a promise. The sages taught in uh, Shabbat 104a that one who seeks to be purified is helped from heaven. That's probably the source of, a, of the old saying, God helps those who help themselves. So let's support one another um, as we progress. Collaborate. You know, Find a partner or a group and, and work through a text together. Answer God's call by seeking him. Strive for holiness and pursue the entrance to the eternal kingdom. Take on my yoke. 
Find rest for your soul.